Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Black and Lit, powered by Full Service Radio. We're your hosts, Jasmine and Priscilla, and we're broadcasting live today from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. Black and Lit is a multimedia brand celebrating dope black people doing the things they love without boundaries. Each week, we're bringing you inspiring stories of tastemakers, artists, and entrepreneurs of color who are taking risks to create the life they want. Our guest today is a DC-based mixed-media artist whose work has been featured all over the world in some of the top galleries, museums, and experiential shows like Refinery 29's 29 Rooms, which just debuted in DC, I think, a couple months ago? A couple months ago, yeah. Yeah. So she's been featured all over, and you probably know her work, you probably know her name. It's Jamia Richmond Edwards. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, ladies. Thank I'm excited so to, to get, get going. Yes. yes. And can we talk about this jacket that you have yes. on right now? It's okay. so fire. It's so fire. Yes. Um, it's shout out. literally fire. Yeah, shout <laughs> out to Mensa um, Kondo, who's a D.C. native, D.C.-based artist. And um, I was just telling the intern, it's to the point now where I'm like, okay, I can either spend hundreds with Gucci or I can <laughs> hire my dope um, creative friends. And so he created, he painted my leather jacket for me. So yeah, that's so dope. Thank you. And Support for those who artists. don't see this, it's this fire leather jacket that has like these, um, like the sam- a salmon color, like triangle orange situation going on. Yes. A lot of orange going on here today. It's a lot of orange. <laughs> One of my favorite colors. Yes. It's our positivity day. <laughs> yeah. So Jasmine and I first came in contact with your work actually at Refinery 29's yes. 29 Rooms okay. exhibition a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought your work was absolutely amazing. I love the idea of just like this massive collage that had sort of um, many layers to it. Mm -hmm. And all of the women inside of that work, their faces were gray, which I thought was interesting Mm -hmm. um, while there was still a lot of vibrancy in all of in, in the big body of work. Yes. But can you tell me a little bit about sort of your practice and why you decide to use sort of remnants and pieces to create something beautiful? I think that's sort of the through line of a lot of your work. Absolutely. Um, So I used to be an oil painter. And um, so I have three kids. But at the time, I had two sons. And um, my husband and I, we moved from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to um, the DMV. And we had this really cool loft. But... The ventilation wasn't good because oil paint is very toxic. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to use turpentine. And so because I couldn't use the oil paint, um, I switched to collage. And like all my faces are drawn with ink. And so um, the ink gave me the sort of fluidity that I experienced from the oil. Mm -hmm. And I just started collaging. Um, And once I first did this about... let's see, 10 years ago, when I started creating this body of work, I immediately um, knew that, oh, this is something pretty unique. Mm -hmm. And so from there, it's just evolved. And I think that my practice is pretty much a continuum of many um, 
um, black creatives and when you look at the history of, of um, art making. So when we look at hip hop, the idea of sampling, um, when we look at um, quilts, right. you know, using <laughs> fabrics and scraps and incorporated into your work. So I think that part of um, how I'm thinking about art and how I'm making it is is um, a continuum of um, black Americana um, uh, studio practices across all genres. Um, so, yeah, I, I just love it. And, um, you know, I went to Howard University and many of my mentors worked in mixed media. And so it just really kind of gave me the, the win to really take off with it. Yeah. I think, I mean, a big foundation of black creativity is mm-hmm. taking things that were discarded or, yes. you know, unwanted things. You see that Absolutely. in food and in cooking. We see it in food. And yeah. we make it beautiful. And, and we, we make, make it, it something that's yeah. super special. That's right. We see that in hip hop, like taking myth yep. or taking stories or the negative things yep. that have happened in our lives mm-hmm. and sort of turning it into yes. this new sort of storyline for ourselves absolutely and you know what's interesting is part of this conversation where you're talking about you know us taking the the ugly or Mm -hmm. the hurt and making it something beautiful is in 2020 how radical black joy is Mm -hmm. and how radical um you know me creating works of art or large paintings that exudes joy and flyness um so you know that's a really interesting conversation um with the types of ways that we can be or feel or exist outside of you know slavery or Jim Crow Mm. right yeah yeah how do you decide on your mediums that you use yeah so I primarily use like I'm a collage artist um but I'm one of those artists I don't sketch things out you know um and as cliche as it is I'll um just sew a canvas and I let the canvas tell me what needs to happen okay um really I do and it it, which makes my process a little drawn out um but yes it's very organic uh I I start off with a figure sometimes the background and I just observe for hours and the piece sort of unfolds which essentially the works are for the most part tied to my life experiences they're autobiographical um, or experiences from my family or friends or things that I'm observing in like real life Did you always know you wanted to be an artist? I'm one of those people. When I was like three years old, I knew that I wanted to do art. Really? And wow. Yeah, I make the joke like I'm a one-trick pony. I've only <laughs> ever done art. I've taught art. Um, and, you know, I think at a young age, my family recognized that I had this gift, and they supported it. And, I, you know, as I was preparing for um, this interview, and you kind of reflect, like, okay, what are some of the things I want to talk about? I forgot something and it dawned on me when I was about five or six years old, I was obsessed with drawing Betty Boop and I would draw her and I would put Vaseline on the back of the paper and hang it over the uh, the walls and on the um, northeast side of Detroit. And at the time, I'm like, where did I? I don't know if I went to galleries or museums at that moment, but at that I knew that I wanted people to see it, Mm. you know. I was using spit. Uh, it was it was it was kind of was nasty, but it was beautiful. <laughs> and even then, you were using what you can find. I was yeah. using to make your art visible. Yes, and let me tell you what I would use. Speaking of scraps, because my um, brother and sister they had textbooks, right? Uh-huh. So at the beginning of each textbook is blank pages. You were ripping. Their I textbook? was ripping a textbook. <laughs> Were your parents mad? Or they didn't you know. Ripping up these textbooks. It's it's my my brother and sister. It was their school textbooks that they would oh, bring no. home. So once I go through them, I'll be finding scraps. But my mother, she provided um, notebooks and sketchbooks for me. But I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I want this. 
Now, but were your real parents <laughs> artists themselves? Like, how did they know to sort of support you right. in, this, in this really thoughtful way? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I have one of those um, really creative families. Uh, my grandfather... Cassell Richmond, and if, if you look at my page, I posted an article that he did, but he was a, he owned a business, he owned a diamond company mm-hmm. he, in the early 1900s, um, a bread company and a bread distribution company, so I think, you know, my aunts and uncle and my mom, they saw it this, you know, when they were young coming up, like, you have this agency over your, over your destiny, over your life, you can be an entrepreneur, you can do whatever, so my aunt, shout out to Aunt Ina and Callie, um, she's an actress, she started acting, when she was really young, um, mm-hmm. she went to Interlochen, which was a, it's an arts boarding school in Michigan. And my mother was a dancer. She's a social dancer. And in and, and D.C., you guys call it hand dancing. Detroit, mm-hmm. we call it bopping Chicago, Chicago uh-huh. stepping. But that was her life. And, you know, I think, you know, one way to say, oh, that was just a hobby. But this was her, this was her life. Mm-hmm. So I think growing up seeing that, you know, um, my family being able to express and articulate their ideas and it sort of, you know, gave me that permission Mm -hmm. and they never said, oh, you need a plan B, you -hmm. know, it was from the get go, like, oh, you doing art, well, this is what we're doing. You need to meet this person. You need to be exposed to this. So I, you know, I do recognize the the privilege and the blessings that I have with having a, a, you know, supportive family. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Just going back to uh, sort of your work a little bit more, Mm -hmm. you said that your work sort of digs into autobiography, Mm -hmm. um, but it's also very imaginative. Yeah. And and sometimes it's hard for us to sort of pull from a place of imagination as black creatives because so much of um, what we're forced to sort of create from Mm -hmm. is from a place of just like, dark history, pains, mm-hmm. yes. oppression. Yes. But how can you how do you create from a place of black joy as well? Yes, but you just said something really interesting. You said we're forced. Mm-hmm. Mm. We've given a very limited scope of what it is. Yeah. But as a young age, I remember I, I grew up Catholic and mm-hmm. I remember being seven years old and telling my mom, I ain't going to church. I'm not feeling it. And she said, Okay, you can do that. So at a young age, I I had that support to kind of step outside and think outside the box. When mm-hmm. I was in high school, I was always into fashion. You know, I was wearing cowboy boots, mini skirts, mink coats, and no one ever said, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, again, this environment that I'm living, although I'm growing up in Detroit, you know, seven miles, I'm seeing um, everywhere you go, you see people and styles and how they move, and they, sometimes they look alike. But I yeah. always was, I was never afraid to step outside the box. And so I think now as the practice, because sometimes when I'm speaking, I have to make sure, like, are these my thoughts or is this what the the beast or the matrix want me to say and Mm -hmm. think and move? So I'm often like self-checking myself. I'm very cognizant of that. And, um, you know, I was telling Priscilla, I homeschool my my kids. And that's part of the thing as well. It's like Mm -hmm. being a free thinker, independent thinker, because we're forced (laughs) <laughs> We're kind of, you know, this very limited scope of who you are. And it's like, no, we are, we're the full spectrum of our life experiences. So, you know, and I've had, even though I, I've experienced adversity, I've had a really dope-ass life. Yeah. And so it's like, why, why would I not talk about that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely relate to that from just, like, being home, being, like, formally homeschooled and mm-hmm. all of that. 
Um, yeah, my parents definitely allowed me to sort of explore a variety of interests and ideas, if you will, um, that weren't so relegated to being in a sort of institution and having like a step-by-step sort of syllabus Mm -hmm. of how I should think. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's something we've discussed in the past because Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, a lot of black kids growing up don't have the benefit of being able to explore their curiosities yeah or you yeah. know if it's outside of the norm of what yes. black culture says black people are supposed to be interested Speak in it. you know it's shut down by parents by peers by teachers That's so right. giving your kids the opportunity to actually be yeah. curious about their interests and pursue them is amazing yeah <laughs> thank you kudos to you and i'm in my i've also just left teaching i was teaching for 13 years and wow. that's like I actually enjoy teaching more than I do making art. Really? really? I do. It's what really, age did you teach? I taught um, all high school, all mm. secondary. And um, I taught at a, um, shout out to the VPA, Jim Henson School in Hyattsville, which is an art school. And I taught the br- best, brightest kids. And they gave me some hope because, again, I t- I'm teaching art students. And we're not doomed. Kids are kind of figuring things out. Um, mm. And especially creatives and kids who are able to be in spaces where their creativity and curiosity is encouraged and cultivated. Um, but I, I've taught at, a, I was at a, a arts high school for six years. And before that I was at a, like an archdiocese school and I saw the, and it was predominantly black and mm-hmm. it, they were, I call them minions. <laughs> and I, and I, I will never forget um, where it was report cards and we were encouraged the kids who got like high GPAs to shout them out. And this young man came to pull me aside. I was like, don't shout me out. Like, I don't want the kids to know that I got a 4.0. Really? And I'm just like, yo, <laughs> come on now. Like, <laughs> so that's just an example of this sort of pressure the kids may feel amongst their peers. Right. Um, media, that you have to be a certain way. But I, I think because of social media, um, you know, it's a gift and a curse. But with social media, like with you guys, are able to put your content out there, you kids well not just kids everyone has access Mm -hmm. to the full spectrum of experiences representations Mm -hmm. um so yeah i love that i love that did you have any mentors growing up that helped cultivate your craft and get you where you are absolutely um it was really the ones that come to mind our post um, undergrads. So I went to Jackson State University in Mississippi, Tigers, mm-hmm. whoop, whoop. Um, and I moved to Milwaukee. And there was this organization called Abea, and it was African American artists beginning to educate other art or something. It's just a long acronym, but um, it was this. Uh, she's a self-taught artist, folk artist, Della Wells, and she's she was one of my first mentors. And she's an artist who started making work at like forty-five. Wow! Um, right, and she's she's dope. So I had her. Um, and so when I moved to the DMV, I knew that I need to find who are the black artists, what is the network. Mm-hmm. And I joined an organization called BADC, Black Artists of DC, which had, you know, novice artists to Sam Gilliam um, coming to meetings. And from there, I just had this community of people who were like, yo, we about to lift you, raise you, you know. Yeah. Um, so I've always had really dope artists. I remember my boy, um, Philandis Thames, we call him Flip. We went to undergrad together, but he went to Yale. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, going from Mississippi to Yale, you know, 
his observation experience was like, yo, I need to let folks know. So he, well, he let me know. He told me about the art game in New York. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first moved out here, he like, yo, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to do. And it was just like, well, oh my gosh. And I, as I, as the years went by, I began following his advice, which began to unlock, you know, some of the access and opportunities I received. So all that to say is I've always had people who really kind of just lift me up on their shoulders and, you know, I learned that in order for me to go forward, I have to make sure that I extend, you know, opportunities to. Right. Because um, I have a lot of mentees or people who I'm supporting. Um, and that's that's the only way to be. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing that you had sort of somebody to give you a full guidebook oh, God. on how to do it. Yes. I think a lot of people, you know, they're making beautiful art in their homes and have mm-hmm. no idea how no to get clue. it out there. No clue. And it's like, find your tribe, find your village, mm. find the people. And I'm, I love the elders. Go to the elders. Okay. Mm. It's good to have, of course, you need to be amongst your peers, right. but seek out the elders because they have, they have the jewels. <laughs> they have <laughs> all it. the wisdom. They have the jewels. <laughs> all the wisdom. Mm-hmm. So what was the first piece that you sort of got mm-hmm. placed in? Mm-hmm. in a gallery or oh that's a good okay so sh- shout out to gallery Mertiz. yeah so i my so by the time i went decided to go to graduate school um at howard this is 2010 it was a um a juried exhibition and those of you who don't know juried exhibitions is when they put out a call for artists and they advertise it online and this is at gallery Mertiz in baltimore and so i went and exhibited and you know had a painting there and she was just like, girl, this is good. I want to work with you. And for about six to seven years, I worked exclusively with her. But me putting my work in that gallery, um, that artist called, and I had to actively search for artist calls, she put me on. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for Mertice. And, um, yeah, I remember the painting was called um, Baby Owl, and I remember the collector who purchased it. Wow. And... Yeah, it's just me being proactive. And by time I, let me see, in 2010, how old was I? I don't know, I was like 27, 28, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel like doing the math. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I was hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I worked um, full-time as an art teacher. I was in graduate school. And I'm glad that I waited, opposed to going directly after undergrad. I would not have been ready. But since I had that time to think, observe, have people like Philandis hollering at me, telling me, giving me the skinny. I was like, okay, I'm about to just really be on top of my game. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and the rest is history with that, just that one exhibition in 2010, working with Mm Martise. And from there, like, my work was on Empire. I was on on the first season, one of the first artists um, selected to be on Empire. And that was through Martise Gallery. Um, Because you're... you're your art was basically in yeah. the lion's mansion. It was right? the lion's It was like one of the main people, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, they, you know, once you're doing interesting things and I think, you know, sometimes when we create in work, oftentimes we create things that we think people want to see mm. and you don't ever want to get in that trap. And a lot of times mm. it's like, well, you know, and I'm not dissing people who are dealing with like slavery or Jim Crow. Like that's yeah. a very important era. But a lot of times I see young artists like, okay, well, this is, I'm black which is a construct, right? I'm black, so I have to do black art, and this is what black art is. And so once I was able to step outside of that, because that's what I did at first, you know, when I was Mm -hmm. painting, but once I started making it personal and the work became more authentic, that's when people saw, like, oh, this is a girl from Seven Mile. This is a a girl who was affected by the crack epidemic in the 80s and so forth. And so I think that opened 
you know, when so when the, the set designer is putting work, they had, you know, Kahende Wiley's um, Basquiat's. Mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, well, here's another story that we can add to this, um, this very beautiful um, story of empire. You know, this family who's who's, you know, experienced whatever adversities and they literally creating generational wealth and legacy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I would like to think that they saw my work as a contribution to the ideas that they were, you know, trying to convey. Right. That's powerful. Yeah. That's beautiful. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear more from Jamia Richmond Edwards about her craft and how she makes it happen. We'll be right back. Hey guys, you're listening to Black and Lit on Full Service Radio. Um, we're your hosts, Jasmine and Priscilla and Jasmine. Sorry. <laughs> Today in studio, we have Jamia Richmond Ed- Edwards. She's a mixed medium artist here in Washington, D.C. So far, we've been talking about her, her work, um, mixing various mediums, mentorship, how she's a part of a creative community that has really sort of helped her go to the next level in her career and how she's been able to get her work placed all over the world. Well, yeah, I wanted to learn a little bit more about how you sort of decide um, what sort of mediums to sort of mix together, mm-hmm. what your approach is to, like, pulling materials Where do you find stories. them? Like, where do you how source do you, yeah. yeah, how do you source all right. these materials? Um, so it's a, it's a couple of sources. Uh, so one is I go to the art store and buy art papers. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is I have, like, just dozens of old paintings that I did back in the day that I always kept. I had a phase where I was obsessed with this artist named Sam Gilliam, and I was doing a lot of printmaking, um, just a lot of abstract work. And I don't know if it was really good, but at the time I just had to get a lot of it out. And I was doing this in about 2005, 2006, and I just had all these papers stacked up, and I still have them to this day, so I'm using that. Um, I have friends who were art teachers and they get ready to throw old art out and I'm like "Mm -mm, come Mm -hmm. on bring it so um things that I find so if it's like you know if you have an old takeout bag and I like the pattern on it I'll take it so you can easily become a hoarder um (laughs) it's like a really slippery slope I'm telling you Uh, but so if you go into my studio which is in Rockville I have a huge paper installation I call it an installation it's a huge paper pile and it's like, it's chaos in my studio, but it, wow. it, it works. I'm just sourcing the materials. And, you know, what's interesting when working with little tiny pieces of paper, you begin to develop relationships where mm. if I'm making this work, I'm like, you know what? 
I have that takeout bag that got the blue in it. So let me comb through <laughs> it and find it's not organized. Yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, I need that, that, that yellow Laffy Taffy paper or something like that. So, um, so yeah, it's just like a very, it's very organic, mm-hmm. you know. Organized chaos. I like or, it. Definitely organized chaos. How long did it take you to put together the piece that we saw at mm-hmm. Refinery29's exhibit? Yeah, so this is the gag. So the, the large piece you have is was digital. I, I emailed them and oh, they wow. printed it. Oh, now, interesting. for that large scale, but the actual painting, um, which is about four feet by six feet, I, it can take me like a week and that's like nine to five hours, mm-hmm. you know, like a nine to five. Uh, so it, it varies. Yeah. Do you have a favorite piece or collection that you've done? You know, um, it's my my Fly Girl Fly uh, body of work that I did. Was that two? I don't know. Was that two years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, my first like, major solo exhibition at Kravitz Wavy Gallery. Shout out to Mark and Susie. Um, and I created this body of work talking about booster culture hmm. um so growing up in detroit and and it's it's everywhere every yes. urban city you know yeah. it's not a Here detroit DC thing for sure <laughs> and it's like you know my, my friends and i we were by our we would save up our checks and buy our gucci loafers like that was the that from was the boosters the thing. no from oh. from um from nordstrom's or the gucci store uh-huh. However, you know, if you're trying to be extra fly, that Versace outfit, not just the shoes, but the <laughs> outfit, you go to the booster. One of my friend's dad would go to China and bring back Louis Vuitton bags oh, wow. and all of that. Wow. So, yeah, it was a whole it was a whole vibe. And so I understood, you know, that's a very integral part of our, our culture. And you look at Dapper Dan, like Dapper Dan mm-hmm. is like a, like the, the dopest example. And, you know, it started because a lot of times, you know, um, the stores downtown, they wouldn't allow black people in. Right. So we like, okay, well, we either going to make our own mm-hmm. or, you know, either and boosting, of course, it's either stolen or it's like just a knockoff. Right. And so it's like, by any means necessary, you got to be fly. Um, and I, so I created this body of work on it and it was called Fly Girl Fly. Um, and it's just really thinking about how fashion has shaped my family and who I am right. and you know I'm I'm growing up in a community where you know you see drug addicts just just fresh off the 80s you know mm-hmm. 90s growing mm-hmm. up you know it was it was rough and it's still rough then yeah. you know you have opioids now and lean you know the new heroin um and but in and you can go to any urban school in low income title one school the kids are their shoes are going to be immaculate absolutely you know so it's like what's that all about? And it's not, to me, it's not a negative thing because you have the respectability um, vultures like, well, they shouldn't, they don't deserve to to wear quote unquote finer things or good things. And so, you know, I was just thinking about all these things growing up and how, you know, my mother really instilled with me like, yo, you make sure that you're presentable. Absolutely. It's a sense of pride. Uh, I mean, my grandmother used to say the same thing. Like she would say we had no money growing up, but Mm -hmm. your mother and her sister would always look sharp going out the house because you're representing your family when you go out the door. That's right. You represent your family and you also represent yourself, how people respond and treat you, you know. Absolutely. Um, so I created this work, this body of work. And also I was thinking about black women's relationship with luxury, um, with luxury items. Like oftentimes we are the biggest consumers. Like black women, we spend on luxury. Yes, we do. Like it's, and I was looking at the numbers when I began researching, but that love isn't reciprocated, mm. you know. And, you know, you had these big gaffes with 
you know, Gucci using blackface or something like that. It's, yeah. so, it's, it's something yeah. every other week, right? Always. Um, and, you know, what, what spun out of that was it was this really big push for looking at the, the black designers. And, um, and this is, what's interesting is all this happened while I'm making these exhibitions about luxury brands and, and what is, you know, and just, you know, how we feel about it. And so, you know, I think that there's beginning to be a paradigm shift. And like I say, I'm, I'm commissioning people, um, to create, I'm like, you know, okay, I think y'all. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's a fine line because, like, you know, I love luxury brands. I, like, yeah. I love finer things, and I think you should go out the house you should. looking, Absolutely. you know, like you a million to. dollars. Yeah. But yeah. also, I also would love for us to pivot away from this need to have validation Absolutely. based on labels. That's like, real. Yeah. The labels that you wear do not make you. They do you not. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. You know, you put yeah. on a, a Givenchy dress yeah. and suddenly you're somebody else, you I know, instead know. of just being you. I never had like a, re- a strong relationship with brands like that. Like really? I was never pressed like yeah. that. Like, of course, I had like the juicy sweats oh the juicy couture, mo- the juicy couture sweats. <laughs> I think I still like, have the little bracelet moment, but yeah. Other than Nike. Yeah. I think the booster culture is what got me into labels. So my dad yeah. owns a barbershop here in Northwest. Oh, oh that's the ground. That's the, the and boosting this, ground. I mean, all my nice stuff. Like uh-huh. in high school, Louis yeah. Vuitton bag, like okay. the shoes, uh-huh. all came from the boosters. Nobody need to know that. You <laughs> know what I mean? But yeah. our rule was as long as it didn't come out of somebody's house or somebody's car. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> then we good. <laughs> I mean, but you know, Detroit was different because it was very, very materialistic. Mm. And what that stemmed from, like, I, I understand what it's from because when you look at these industrial cities like a Detroit or Milwaukee, um, it was the first time. You know, when you have the Great Migration, this is we had access to middle class, and so you know, you going out, you stepping out, you like I'm about to be fly and. When I'm going to high school, like people wearing mink coats and gaiters at the bus stop. I love it. So <laughs> when I went to Mississippi, this is a true story. I was in, I marched in the Sonic Boom at the South. I was a band nerd as well. Uh-huh. And I remember going to my first band practice and I had a Kooji sweatsuit on. Mm. And somebody, and I came in like just super confident and I maybe had some Gucci sneakers on. Somebody was like, take that shit off. <gasps> you like, this ain't no Hawaii. <laughs> take it off. You look stupid. Take no, it off. Didn't. And that's when I stopped. I'm like, wait, y'all, this is, this is Koji. And they like, right. get out of here with that. Wow. That is whack. So <laughs> I'm like, every place isn't the same. Um, you know, our aesthetic, which is flamboyant. Mm-hmm. Take that. That's country as hell. You know, it's. Um, but do you think that maybe we're going to eventually evolve into that as a black community? Like no. labels and brands, you know, take that off and wear something black owned, wear something, you know what I, I mean? Hope, that's from I our people. So. Yes, it's still going to be like flashy and flamboyant and like luxury brands. Because like, we oh, just. You got Pierre Moss? On? You got Pierre Moss. Right, okay. um, right. What's my man? Virgil. You got right. some Virgil, some off white on? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I, hope, I, I so. hope so. Yeah. But we get to, we go spend money. Like one thing about our culture is, is we will invest in what we feel is quality and mm-hmm. we are committed and loyal to brands. Mm. So let's just hope that, you know, more people come out with some flyness that's of color. Absolutely. I hear that. So what's coming up next for you? What do you got going on right now? Ooh, um, well, I have, and I was telling Priscilla, I have so many things that are coming up that I'm not like at liberty to kind of specify what yeah. it is. Um, you don't have to give us the full details. I have a full, so yeah, I do have <laughs> an opening um, next week. Uh, 
at uh, and I'm it's here in DC. No, it is in Chelsea. It is in, in Chelsea. New York City. It's in Very New York nice. City. Mm-hmm. It's where all um, the galleries are located yes, in Chelsea. Yes, and it's a gallery called Fredericks Fraser. Um, Fraser, Fraser. I don't mm-hmm. know. Sorry, mm-hmm. don't kill me if I, I got it <laughs> wrong. Um, so that's coming up next week. That's in Chelsea. Um, I have a New York artist residency. Excuse me, residency. The beginning of February. It's a residency called Wasayik, and it's a family residency. So my whole crew we going up to upstate new york oh wow in, in a cult we leave in the spring winter and go on to winter winter um and what does then, it mean when you have like a family residency oh gosh so okay if you guys are artists or creatives look for residencies and i have three kids have three sons and they have residencies where you go you know residencies are for is, is an allotted time for you to just create mm. so this one is two weeks and they have family residencies for artists creators with with families wow Wow. and they provide you a home they give you a stipend you get flued out and you have a studio (laughs) you get flued out to the Catskills (laughs) yeah yeah so the rest I didn't know about residencies until like after undergrad I'm like really this this is a thing so what's the catch like what is you just they just they want you to make and create work who has this money (laughs) so I think they you know it's nonprofits, Mm -hmm. foundations I'm not sure um but um, I'll be doing another one in the springtime. I can't say which one because mm-hmm. they're going to announce it at the end of this month. That's exciting. It's, it is in the South. And yes, I'm going back to the dirty. I love, I'm excited. And yeah, that's that's the thing. How does, so for an artist mm-hmm. out there that wants to get into this, yes. how, how do you find that type of thing? And it's, you can be a writer. You can be a dancer. You Google. Yeah. I have some friends who have done writing residencies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Google it. Artist residencies. Because, you know, this is the top of the year. The deadlines are coming up in a... You know, now February, March, April. Yeah. So Google it, and they a lot of times they pay you. Some, wow. Some are like year long residencies, and they give you a thirty thousand dollars stipend. I wonder if they have cooking create. residencies. So um, you just go somewhere probably. and just cook <laughs> nonstop probably for it's an days. Art form. <laughs> Culinary art. Yeah. We'll have to look yeah. into that. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you. This has been so fun. Um, we always just like to get one piece of advice that you would give mm. to an up and coming yeah. artist or even just a creative, somebody that's hustling to get their name out there. Absolutely. Um, what would you tell them? The biggest thing you can do is believe in yourself mm. and powerful. The thing is, and, and, and this is a, this is a quote that I took from Diddy um, when he was doing making of the band can you curse on here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Do. And this is like, he had this, and this was on making another band. And he said, while you sleep, it's 10 other motherfuckers trying to take your place. Oh, yeah. Meaning if you, you can sleep all you want to, but just know it's 10 other people who are hungry. So the best thing you can do is believe in yourself. And the difference between you and a mogul or a person who is whatever, they believed in themselves and they mm. did it. Cause we have ideas like, Oh, I, I got this invention and, and I have this. So, okay. File that patent sis, or what you yes. gonna do about it? You know, go to the, and it's, it's so many resources at the library for people who want to make up business plans, et cetera. So just believe, do it. Believe in yourself. Do and part, it. Part of believing in yourself is loving yourself. Is lo- yeah. You Speak have it. to love yourself first. Speak it. In order for anybody else to love that's or it. believe in your work. That's, that's it. That's my whole 2020 vibe. That's yes. a, that's that's a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> love yourself first, then believe in yourself. There it is. And make it happen. Make it happen. Do it. I love it. Last and final question, shall we? We have one final question <laughs> that we like to end our show with. Okay. If you had a theme song to your life, if you're just like, 
walking along, getting ready to go to the studio. Picking up found objects on the street. street, Right, (laughs) collecting papers, objects, whatever. What song would be playing in the background? Oh, gosh. I'm going to take out the first song that came to my head. And I don't know if it's true, but this is a song. This is is so... So you know the Kanye song, nah, oh my nah, God. nah, that is my shit. Wait till I get my money <laughs> right. Uh, then you can't that tell me. Shit. Excuse me, is you saying something? I, I, yeah. So yes, I don't know why. That is so funny. That's the first song that came to my can't mind. Tell me nothing. <laughs> can't tell me nothing. By it's Kanye a whole and vibe. It's a vibe. It is. Yeah. Let's get. It's one paper. of that's one of my hype up songs too. Mm-hmm. Like it's if I feel like I'm about to go into a meeting or like, I feel insecure, uh, I put on the song and I'm like, can't just wait till I get my just money. Just wait till right. I get it. Right. I'm not gonna be able to I'm tell close, me nothing. It's coming <laughs> soon. Soon come. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Jamia, thank you so much yes. for being with us here today. It's been it's really fun, ladies. Thank you. Um, tell us where we can find your work online, Instagram. Yeah, my website is my government name, um, jamiarichmondedwards.com. Um, or in my Instagram is jamiarichmondedwards.com, J A M E A. I'm blessed because I'm Googleable. If you want to learn more about me, just Google my name, <laughs> and it's some you know some interesting content. So I, You'll I recognize find a my lot privilege. Of great pieces on her. So. Yeah, straight up. Um, check so her out. I'm around. Hit me up. Love it, love it. And you can learn more about her if you check out our Instagram at blck the letter n l i t. We're also online at blcknlit.org. We are always so jazzed to partner with Full Service Radio. So you can find them on all platforms at Full Service Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And we'll see y'all next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Peace. Peace.